But man, it's exciting. It's exciting to see what God's doing. You know, I think if you ever think because you're meeting in a school that your mission is limited, you're wrong. The mission, the vision of God is alive and well. And uh, even, you know, I know Dana made the, the trip on, what is that, Tuesday out there and the sacrifice. And so I think it's cool. I, I just want to encourage you, if you guys have never experienced something like that, I mean, people are people all over. But really the mission trip, a lot of it sometimes is for you and your heart to step out of your comfort zone and interact in a way that would maybe not be natural and to say, you know, I mean, you can go downtown Phoenix or Tijuana, but it's cool to go where God is doing something really cool. And so I just want to invite you to continue to pray for Keith and Maya because they're still there. So <laughs> they're, they're still there ministering. They're still doing the work of the Lord. They're still fighting those spiritual battles, those physical battles. So um, as a church of people that pray, can we just continue to lift them up in prayer together? So that's awesome. That's exciting. But I'm excited to preach this morning. I got my coffee. Um, I got to say, I've been to a lot of churches all over the West Coast, and ours is in a school. We don't even have a permanent coffee shop, but we have to have some of the best. I, I'm going to go on the record and say, coffee team, and I, I can see your like scrunchy face. You hate that I'm acknowledging you. Um, so we'll pretend the coffee team's over there. Don't look over here. Well, they're over there doing something. So coffee team, we thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice. And uh, I got to say, I mean, I, I'm impressed. I, I want people from Seattle to come down and see what it's all about just so that they can know because they talk a big game, but you know, <laughs> they're walking out baby steps. So anyways, this is a little cold, but it's good. Ten bucks, I kicked this over at some point in the sermon, but it was worth it for the illustration. Uh, but I'm excited, excited to share with you guys this morning uh, as we continue our banner series. And if uh, you're wondering, you know, what's going on, we've been having this series. And I'm not sure if it's called Raise the Banner, the Banner, the Banner Church. I made like four different slides because I wasn't sure, to be totally honest. But we've really been examining what it means to be Banner Church. And I know you've seen that. Maybe you've seen it on the side of a hospital or, you know, the side of our, uh, of our promo. But what it means to be the Banner. And last week, I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't checked out our podcast, you got to check out the message from last week. Uh, Dana preached this incredible message about Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And man, I, I just left like encouraged after that message. I, I, I mean, I'm listening to it on the podcast and I'm like, this is good. That, that to me felt like, like Dana preaching the fire, Dana. I feel like this like younger Dana just like emerged out of Dana and was just like, just going for it. So I, I loved that. So that was great. It was, it was a blast. So it was fun. Um, but I encourage you to go check that out. But we're talking and continuing this week on this series about banner and what it means uh, to be a banner church. And I think that's important. I think if you're going to have a name, you should know what that name means, right? Because names have power, right? So when you look at like David Bowie's original name, it's, it's not David Bowie, right? Or Billy Idol is not Billy Idol. You know, like names have importance, they have meaning. Uh, and so our name has meaning. So this morning I want to talk about what it means practically for you and I to be the banner church, what it means for us to be under the banner. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But let's pray together. We'll focus our hearts and... Uh, We'll study. God, we thank you this morning that we can gather together, that we can worship you. God, we thank you for this incredible worship team. God, we thank you for what you're doing not only here but in Tijuana. And God, I, I just pray that as we hear this morning from your word, that you would begin to speak to us, that you would begin to transform our hearts and our minds, and that we would leave encouraged by your word. In your name, amen. You know, it's funny 
how people change in every season. I was thinking, you know, back this week as I was preparing this message and I was thinking through as a kid, I was like a very emotional kid. And uh, I was the kid that cried a bunch, like as a kid. Like, you know, when a kid cries and there's like the sympathy cry. So basically just picture my daughter, actually, now that I'm saying this, those of you who know. <laughs> like I was the kid that cried when other kids cried. And it was just something about me. I just didn't like like the injustice that happened to other kids, even if it was just like an owie or, you know, things. I was that kid. And I don't know what happened, but at some point in teenage years, I don't know if it was like a mixture of like hormones and punk rock, but I became like a little more like aggressive with my emotions. I'm sorry, mom and dad. Um, But, you know, I got good at patching drywall. But at some point I transitioned and it was less crying and it changed. And really like this kind of like strength and this perception of my mind continued a long time until I had a child. And when I had a daughter... I'm glad, I, I'm glad I had a daughter, honestly. It, it just like broke me, but in a good way. It, it totally changed me as a person. And before, you know, I, I felt kind of like a tough, I was, you know, a tough guy. You know, I wasn't like really hyper emotional. And, um, but when I had this daughter and she started calling me Papa, which she chose, I didn't choose that. I, it just like melts me. You know, she comes up and she asks me for literally anything. I'm just like, just giving her things because I just love her. She just has turned me into this like sap, this like mushy sucker. <laughs> and I just, I cry at things. Sometimes she's mean to me and I cry. But, you know, for the most part, she's, you know, she's cute. And so it like, it gets me, you know, it, it makes me emotional. But before I got to this mushy, you know, husk of a person that I am now, and trust me, you know, I'm talking to other dads and daughters. We have a support group. It's fine. But before I got there, there was really only, other than tragedy, other than the loss, there was really only two things that made me cry. And so this is, this is going to be my confession to you today. You get to peer into the inner mind of Josh this morning. There's two things that made me cry. Very first thing, the epic climax of underdog sports movies. Let me explain. There's this moment, right? Every sports movie, every story is this. Underdog guy, whether he's shorter, rounder, worse, you know, he has something that makes him not good or her not good at a thing. And then like endures, works hard, and then triumphs. And at the end, they're like lifting them up and they're like, he did it, yeah, right? You know, like, has anyone seen Rudy? Maybe, yes, like Rudy, right? I mean, Rudy, he's terrible at football. Let's just be honest. He sucks at football and he's bad at school. But, like, he works super hard. He gets good at school and okay at football. But eventually, after all these years of trying, they put him on the field. And regardless of what happened in real life, here's what happens in the movie. Uh, in real life, he was, like, offsides. But in the movie, he, he scores. He triumphs. They lift him up onto his shoulders. And I'm on the couch just like, it's goes Rudy. You know, and I, I feel emotional, which is totally, if you know me, you're like, really? But it's emotional when they lift him up and he's like, yeah. Or like, remember the Titans? These are two football movies. So if you're not a football person, I'm sorry. That's just a great movie. You should see that. But, you know, like there's this moment where, you know, there's all this tension because of segregation and there's all these things about, you know, the team coming together and eventually they band together and, you know, one guy scores a touchdown and the other guy who is his enemy who's now in the hospital, he's laying in the hospital bed and he's paralyzed from the waist down, but his move is to like raise his arms in victory 
And it's like emotional for me. I get emotional. And I don't know what that is, to be honest. I, I think it has something to do that like as a person, I really value loyalty over royalty every time. And so I like this about people that they're, that they're the underdog, that they strive. And as a Christian, that really gets me because the world focuses on your pedigree, but Christ focuses on your purpose. And so I like this, that there's just something that stirs me emotionally when people that the world forgets do unforgettable things. And I, and I get emotional about it. And so my wife will come in and I, I've seen, you know, I've, I've like stood strong on some tough things. And she's like, you didn't cry at this, but you're crying at Rudy. This is edited for TV and you're just weeping. And so, you know, I, I feel emotional. So there you go. There's my first one. I just peers you in, you know, to my mind. But the second thing that really gets me is patriotic moments. And I'm not saying like the occasional flag in the grass. I'm talking the real patriotic moments that emphasize sacrifice, right? When you see the fullness, you know, of Arlington National Cemetery, when you see, when you see the flag, when you hear stories of service men and women who have sacrificed and who have, have given up, you know, all the way to the greatest extent of their life, right? That moves me. When you see, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, after 9-11, when there's the single flag hanging in the wreckage and people are banding together, people that before had been arguing about politics and ideas and, and, and personalities and, and, and race and, and finance, right? They were all banding together and they were digging people out and above them hang, hung this American flag and it symbolized this beautiful unity of, as a nation, and where, you know, the sports movies that, you know, that, that's like, ah, oh, man, that's really cool. This is so moving to me. And when I see, like, I don't know if you guys ever see these videos and they go around on Facebook and I have to dodge them because if I watch them, I'm going to be a mess. But there's these videos of, you know, see the flag flying and servicemen and women are coming home and they're encountering their families and the young kids run up to them and they're weeping. And, and it's just this powerful emotional time. I mean, honestly, if you are, uh, you know, if you've served in the armed forces and you've been deployed at any point, I, I just got to say thank you. I honestly, I don't know if I have the, the mental fortitude the emotional strength to do that. So, I, man, I honor the people that have done that. But it, it's powerful. In patriotic moments, I think um, probably the most profound moment I ever uh, witnessed was at a funeral. And it was for a close friend. And it was this moment at the very end where all these firefighters and EMTs were lined up at the... I cried about this when I wrote it, but I'm going to hold it together here. But uh, they're all lined up and they have the flag and they take it and they fold it. And as they fold it, the bagpipes go. And as soon as the bagpipes go, I just like lose it. Like I'm a mess, like ugly cry. And, and rightfully so, you can, that's fair. But there's something about that moment when they have the flag in their hands that's so powerful, right? There's something about the flag that's so powerful. And that's why so many people will say it's more than a flag, right? It's more than a collection of fabrics strategically aligned and sewn, right? It's more than just the American flag. And, you know, this, this week, you, you know, it's Independence Day. You could go to Walmart. I have American flag socks on. You can go to Walmart and you can see 
like every version of the flag, right? To the point it's almost become like a, like a cartoon where they might as well just put a t-shirt of a guy in American flag sweatpants cracking open a Budweiser screaming America, right? Like it's gotten to that point where patriotism is like a, is like a cartoon. But the flag is so much more than national branding. It's more than socks and shirts and glasses. It's more than just this symbol that we put on things to say you voted for so-and-so and you're this kind of person and you have this much of a country accent, right? The flag is a symbol for something so much greater. And it carries with it all of this weight, I love this quote from uh, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Way back in 1917, it says, this flag, which we honor and under which we serve, is the emblem of our unity, our power, our thought, and our purpose as a nation. It has no character than that which we give it from generation to generation. The choices are ours. It floats in majestic silence above the hosts that exude these choices, whether in peace or in war. And yet, though silent, it speaks to us, speaks of the past or the men and women who went before us and the records they wrote upon it. And we're faced with the flag a lot. You should see it all over because it's Independence Day. It's a red state. You should see like the flag everywhere now. And that's good because we should be reminded that there are people who have sacrificed for this flag. But why sacrifice for it? Why, why sacrifice under, under this flag? Because it's more than that, right? It's more than a flag. It's a summation of every belief, every hope, every ideal that, that we hold dear into our heart. And sometimes, you know, we do a better or worse job of living that out, strategically speaking. But as an element, as a flag, as a symbol, it's supposed to represent, right, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so when we see the flag on 4th of July, it's not just supposed to symbol, here's the parade route. It's supposed to symbol liberty. It's supposed to symbol life, the pursuit of happiness, the truths that it's under. And it's interesting, I did a lot of research on the flag uh, this week, and it's crazy, you know, just its journey, because really until the 60s, it, it still wasn't done developing until, you know, we, until even Alaska comes in and Hawaii comes in, it, it wasn't done developing. All the way back to when, you know, the Congress decides to go to war, you know, the Continental Army, they're like, we need a flag. So they take the stripes of the Sons of Ben flag, and they take the Union Jack, and they kind of just like mash them together. And so the, the original flag that they go to war with is not the blue field with the constellation. It's, you know, it's this unique flag. Then eventually we have what we call the Betsy Ross flag. And from there it grows and it adds and it changes with, with the stars. You know, obviously the stripes remain the same. Um, but it changes and adapts. But regardless of whatever form it's had or how many stars it's been on, it's always been this symbol and, and under which this symbol, people have come under the authority. They've come under the idea. They've come under the hope for tomorrow. It's been in wars. It's been in times of peace, right? The flag has always flown. And so with it has come this promise that people would come together in unity and receive liberty, 
And so at the foundation of this country, they lifted up a banner, they lifted up a flag that people would come under, right? They took down the old Union Jack, they took down the old idea of the British flag, and they said, here's our new flag, here's our new identity. And on Independence Day, what we celebrate is the establishment, not of, uh, of states or provinces, not, not of districts, not of, not of just ideas, but, but the establishment of a nation that rested under this flag under this identity and this belief together. And as we look as a church, as we look towards the future, we as a church are coming under a banner. And we are part of lifting up a specific banner, a specific flag in this city. And it's not just, you know, this, this national sense of a banner of America, but we are called to lift up a banner. And as we began to pray as a church, I remember back when we were talking about launching out and beginning this season, we began to pray about the, the name and, and this change in the season and the transition. And, you know, as a team, uh, I want to encourage, you know, the church to know, we went into like a real strong time and a long time of prayer and fasting. And as we were praying, as we were fasting, what we really knew is that the, the future of this church has to be a God thing. Because if it's just us, can I tell you, like launching a church is not like as emotionally sustaining that if it's a you thing, it's really encouraging. It has to be a God thing, right? Moving into a building is not so exciting that it can be a you thing. It has to be a God thing. And so we prayed that God would give us wisdom. And as we were praying and fasting as a team, God began to bring us these scriptures. And even back when Katie and I were going to move here, God gave us this scripture. Um, actually, someone spoke this into our life as an encouragement, Psalm 20, verse 4. And it says, may he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Which, you know, that's a, that's a nice verse. I receive that. Um, but if you continue to read, which is the important thing to, to have all the context of a verse, uh, there's this part that says, may we shout for joy over your victory, talking to the Lord, and lift up our banners in the name of our God. And I hadn't done much research on this term banner in scripture, but it really spurred in my heart a desire to, to in-depth research what the banner, to lift up our banners, this idea that I kept seeing come up in Isaiah, see come up, you know, all the way through scripture, right? This idea of lifting the banner, being lifted up. And last week, Dana shared about Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner, and this is, you know, a name for the Lord. This was Israel. This is this moment. But there's another usage of the term banner that I want to talk about today that I think is important to us, that as we came together as a church, there's a continuation of this idea that carries it from the Old Testament to right here as a church, even in this school today. So I want to talk about that this morning. And we're going to look at two scriptures. If you have your Bibles, bust those out or boot up your Bible app. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. But if you're in the back, you might want a Bible app. Uh, but there's two scriptures, Isaiah 11:10, and then John 12, 31 through 32. And I'm going to read two scriptures here this morning. Well, I'm going to read a bunch, but we're going to have two on the screen. The very first one is Isaiah 11:10, And all of, all of this uh, chapter is about um, the branch from Jesse. So I encourage you, it's a really great chapter. Uh, if, if you haven't read this, go back and read it. But... I'm going to read you the climax, the, the, the crucial point in this thing. It says, verse 10, In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. 
The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Now we're going to jump together. Everyone got that? Good. Um, Oh, his headquarters. That's kind of cool. I like that. Um, Headquarters. Okay. Um, But we're going to jump to John 12 uh, here. In John 12, starting in verse 31, it says, Now is the time for the judgment on this world. It says, Now the prince of this world will be driven out, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And it goes on, on verse 33, which I didn't put up there. It says, He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And so what we have here is a promise all the way back in Isaiah. And if you read through Isaiah, you see this promise come up consistently, not just for Israel, but it's a prophecy looking forward. And then we have this moment where Jesus again uh, speaks of his death in John 12. And so it's like a promise and a fulfillment. And Isaiah 11.10 says, the root of Jesse will be the banner for all nations. And in this case, the root of Jesse, for those who don't know, the root of Jesse is Jesus Christ. And that all of Isaiah 11.10 and all of Isaiah 11 here is prophesying about the root of Jesse, Jesus, who will come and be the banner that draws all people. And specifically that I want us to note here, because it's important in Isaiah 11.10, if you have your Bibles, that he calls all nations. Some uh, translations, depending on what you have, will say he calls the Gentiles. The Gentiles meaning he calls all people, including those who are not Jewish and a part of Israel. So this promise is going from the promise to Israel to the promise to all people. And we see the same thing in John 12, 32, right? Jesus promises that when he is lifted up, some translations say all men, some translations say all people, but he's basically saying all of mankind, I will draw unto myself when I am lifted up. See, when Jesus dies, when he's, when he's on the cross and he's in the grave and he's resurrected right on the third day, he's raised up as the banner Jesus Christ that was prophesied about. And the cool thing is in the prophecy and in what Jesus speaks is it doesn't matter now what nation you're a part of or what background you have or what heritage you have. We are all called under the banner of Jesus Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. If you've never heard that, the good news of the gospel is back in the day, under the original law, you had to make sacrifices. That's why when Moses wins his victory by the power of the Lord, he builds an altar and says, the Lord is my banner. The altar is for sacrifices, for atonement. But Jesus comes and he says, no longer are you making sacrifices for atonement, but I am your sacrifice. And when I am lifted up, I am now the banner. And so as a church, we hold this message, right? As Banner Church, we hold tightly to this original idea that we are a city, Scottsdale, Tempe, the whole valley, right? We're a city made up of people of different nations, of different backgrounds, of of different personalities, of different upbringing. And yet God has called every single person, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, he has called you under the banner of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave, there is nothing that excluded you nationally or personality or background or heritage from coming under and receiving that promise of Jesus Christ. 
And this morning, I, this, is, this is fully a message of encouragement. And I'm going to give you three points in just a second here. But I, I got to say, it, life is tough. And it, and I, it doesn't take a lot of looking around to see this. And sometimes life, I was thinking of this because uh, we went to the baseball game. A bunch of the guys all went to the Diamondbacks. And a dude got just rocked by a pitch, hit him right in the wrist, broke his hand. And I was going to say, I feel like sometimes life is like, batting against a pitcher who can hit you with a pitch, but you still can't take a base. That's sometimes how life feels. Like, I keep getting pegged, I keep getting hit, but, I, but I, I'm not advancing. <laughs> and it can be discouraging because we can wonder and, and feel isolated and feel stuck. And what happens, though, is when we come under the banner of Jesus Christ, we receive the blessing of his promise and, and all of these promises that he brings. And so Jesus Christ comes to say, I know that life is difficult and life can be hard. And I want to invite you to say, instead of being under your banner, under your control, under your effort, can you come under my banner, the banner of Jesus Christ? And so I'm going to encourage you this morning with these two scriptures and, and just a couple points that say, if you come under the banner of Jesus Christ, you receive the blessing of every promise he gives. And I think that's really cool is that, see, my, my daughter, here's a great example. My daughter will promise me things. I'll be like, don't bite your fingernails. And she'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, promise? She's promises. Then she sticks her fingers in her mouth, right? Because people break promises. But God never breaks his promises. Sometimes there's an if then, and we forget the if you do this part. But I gotta say, Jesus is inviting, it's an open invitation to come under his banner. And he's saying, if you come under, you receive these things. Do you guys wanna hear what those things are this morning? Good, I'm gonna drink some coffee and then I'm gonna tell you. That's a little cold. <laughs> There's three things this morning. The very first thing is victory. When we come under the banner of Jesus, we receive victory. This is the biggest and first thing, right, under the banner of Jesus is victory. We've talked about victory. This goes all the way back to the OG promise, right? All the way back that says you'll have victory under the Lord if you come under his authority. And it goes straight into the character of the Lord. And when we look at John 12, that scripture we read, it says, the prince of this world will be driven out. And it talks about judgment. Now, is that judgment on you? Now that judgment is against the enemy who has tried to destroy with sin. And it says the prince of this world will be driven out. And when Jesus was lifted up, what I love is that as he's lifted up, he defeats death, hell, and the grave. And he drives out the authority of the enemy. Now, am I saying like Satan's gone from the earth? No, that would be theologically wrong. <laughs> I'm saying he drives out the authority that, that he has a greater authority. And that means for you and I that when we come under the banner of Jesus Christ, that we receive the greatest victory that can ever be won, and that's eternal life. See, the banner of Jesus reigns over even the grave itself, death itself. You know, I, I love 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 55 through 57. If, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can write it down if you're taking notes. But it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only have we received, when you receive salvation, you receive this this eternal victory. Not only have we received an eternal victory over the enemy, but Christ as our helper has promised that we can receive a temporal victory over the enemy. Victory in this life, in this life as well, not just eternally. Right, I love Isaiah 54, 17. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. James 4, 7, right? Really popular verse. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me say this another way. Come under the authority of the banner of Jesus Christ. Resist the enemy And he must respect the authority of Jesus Christ and flee from you. It's not your authority, right? It's the authority of Jesus. See, when an army comes in, uh, I don't know if you guys have, you know, this is kind of like a general understanding, but, you know, an army comes into a fort or a castle or a land, they come in and they take down the old flag and they throw that away and they put a new flag in the ground or in the fort or the castle, right? And it signals to everybody, this land is under the authority, the protection and the promises and the ideals of this flag, And so when Jesus Christ is raised up as the banner, when we come under the banner, we come under his authority that's planted. And through that authority is also the promise of this victory through Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, it's supposed to rally us and encourage us because life is hard. It's supposed to encourage us that if we serve a God who created the earth, who created you and I, who sent his son to die for us, who defeated death, hell, and the grave, and gave us eternal victory, then we're supposed to have our faith rallied that he can also give us victory over the sin that the enemy is trying to trap you in. That he's not just going to give us eternal victory, he's going to give us victory in our circumstance. And I'm not saying take that in a weird name and claim away. I'm just saying if you trust that this is Jesus, Jesus is always Jesus and he's always victorious. And that's our hope that we get victory under the banner of Jesus. And that's what we believe as a church, right? We believe that when this city begins to come under the banner of Jesus Christ, that they will receive victory over oppression, that they will receive deliverance from depression, that they will see chains broken just like our team saw in Tijuana. Was that them doing it? No, that's the authority of Jesus Christ that does that. And we believe that as Banner Church, that as we raise this banner of Jesus over this city, over our lives, over our work, over our families, that we would see deliverance for people and victory in their lives. Amen? Amen. And that's why we exist, because we believe in that victory of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't have the power, if Jesus didn't raise, then you can all go home. But he did. And if he has the power to defeat, defeat death and the power to defeat sin and the power to defeat the enemy, then he has the power to bring victory in your circumstance. And that's for all people too. And that's not for church people. That's not for Israelites. That's for all people. The second thing this morning, if you're taking notes, that he promises is nearness. Nearness. Boom. It's on the slide. I love this. In the character of Jesus, the character of the Lord. 
that God is calling us and it says near to him. There's a proximity, a closeness. And we see it in two things, right? Salvation and relationship. That first and foremost, Jesus was the sacrifice for all of us. See, what happened is we in our lives have sin that separated us from the Lord. We like to ignore that part because that's a tough part sometimes, you know. But, but it's our sin that separated us from the Lord. Jesus did not leave us. God did not abandon us, right? We in our sin separate ourselves from the Lord because God is good. And so when we step into sin in our life, we separate ourselves from the Lord. And Jesus came to say, listen, I will be the sacrifice, the atonement, so that you might again be near me. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, everyone in this building, everyone in this city, everyone in this nation, in this world needs a salvation that comes from the Lord because there is something that is separating us from the goodness that is living with Jesus and that sin. And so when we come under the authority of the Lord and we surrender to him, we receive his salvation. We receive not just a salvation and sent out the door and off and we're separated, right? We receive a nearness, a closeness to God. Romans 3, through 24 says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, Jesus came for the Jew and the non-Jew, right? And he came for every single person. He came for the rich or the poor. He came, I mean, give me a clarifier. He came for you, right? He came for every person. And sometimes I think that because we get in the flow, we get in the rhythm, if you've been in the church a while, we forget that the reason he came is because he loves. Not because he was like compelled or felt guilty that things didn't go the way he planned with the earth or some, you know. Like he came because he loves, because he cares, because he desires. And he cares because he wants nearness with us. He wants closeness. He wants relationship. And as I've been in the city of Scottsdale, it's interesting to me how many people comment on the loneliness in our county, in our area. And I got to say, travel anywhere, it's a national issue, that we live in a relational deficit as a people. And we struggle with this idea of being isolated. We've emphasized individualism so much that we've lost this idea of coming into intimacy and nearness. And Jesus is saying, not only did I die to free you eternally, but that I want to have relationship with you. I want to have intimacy, nearness, closeness with you on this earth. That that should encourage us to say, we don't serve a God that is distant amidst our trials or our victories or our life or our days. We serve a God that is near to us and that he has promised that as he was lifted up, that he would be near to you. It's one of the promises and God does not break his promises. The third thing, and it's, it's one of my favorite things because I think it's incredibly necessary and it's been proven to me this week that we receive in this promise of coming under the banner of Christ. When we come under the banner of Jesus, we receive his rest. 
Some translations of Isaiah 11.10 say his resting place. This one said like stronghold or battle fort or something. But uh, really the translation here is that his rest is glorious. And all throughout scripture, Jesus is calling us to a true form of rest. I'm not talking about like Hawaii, you know, palm trees and, and hammocks rest. I love that. I mean, amen. But I'm talking about like true rest at the depth of your soul, something that goes down into your inner being that provides peace and rest and encouragement and it strengthens and it refreshes and it can't be compromised, a real rest from God. And the idea here is that when we come under the banner of Jesus, we receive a supernatural, not conditional rest right? That when we come under God, we receive a rest that comes from him. So it has his authority and his power and his sustaining ability, even amidst hard times. And I'm going to be honest, I I struggled this week. I think sometimes as preachers, we can struggle um, to preach, you know, theoretically, we can struggle with this kind of like almost making the, you know, the, the scripture cold, that it's just like, yeah, receive this. You know, or, yeah, you, you should do this, or this should, you know, it, it becomes very, very hard, you know, or very cold. And as I met with people this week and as I interacted this week, I got to say, man, most of the people I'm interacting with are overwhelmed. I think of it like this. Uh, one time I was in Hawaii when I was younger. And I wanted to walk out to where the waves were and it was out on this peninsula in this point and I'm getting farther and farther out and I'm feeling good and the, and the tide's down. I didn't understand that waves came in sets. I didn't like understand how this worked because I was from Seattle and you don't go in the ocean because you'll die. <laughs> but, so I didn't understand that they come in sets and so I get further out and further out and further out and then what happens is I have overextended myself and the waves begin to come in. And in my confidence as an 11-year-old, I think, I think, I got this, I'm fine. But the water is so powerful, it begins to slam me against the rock, slam me against this black lava rock, and it's cutting me, and it's slamming me down, and, and I'm just feeling overwhelmed. I don't have the strength of my legs, the strength of my arms. I'm feeling just overpowered by these waves. And I met a lot of people that, this week that feel that overpowered by the things that have come against, exhausted, anxious, overwhelmed, discouraged. And what happened in this moment is that my dad, being a good dad, came and he, he came amidst the waves and he grabbed me and he lifted me out and he drug me up to the shore. It was his strength. It was his ability that came and picked me up and took me. And sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I understand right now you're overwhelmed. You're feeling the waves. You're feeling the crash. But when you come under my authority, what you get is a strong arm that comes in and can encounter you in your situation amidst the waves and can remove you out of a place of, of, of hurt and out of a place of confusion and out of a place of overwhelming and anxiety. I'm talking emotionally and spiritually. I'm not saying everything in your life is going to be easy. I'm saying in your heart and in your soul. He can remove your soul from the storm and onto the shore of rest. 
And when we as a church, when we as people come under the banner of Jesus, it says we will encounter, we will live amongst his rest. And can I be honest, church? I, I need that. Right? Does is, is anyone else want to be honest this morning and say, I, I could really use some rest up in here, like in my life and in, in my situation and in my job? I know because I meet with everyone and I got to say every meeting is like, I feel overwhelmed. I'm like a guy treading water and my arms are giving out, right? And, and Jesus is saying, listen, when you come under my banner, when you come under my authority, not only do I come near to you, not only do I bring you a victory, but I bring you rest and peace. What I love about Jesus is we don't got to dress up our, uh, <laughs> our frustration or our anxiety, right? First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all of your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. It doesn't say repackage your anxiety to look like Christian okayedness and then give it to him. It says, cast all of your anxiety onto him. Matthew 20, 11, 28 says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And can I say, church, this morning, I believe that God is calling the city of Scottsdale to a glorious place of rest, to a place of peace. I'm gonna invite the band to come forward this morning.